Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. It's officially basketball season, so you know that means those cold northern winds could be blown across our Great Plains. And if you're feeling the shiveries inside your house, you know what time it is. It's time to talk to your local Pella Omaha and Lincoln expert about taking a closer look at your windows. You can save energy and stay warm with windows from Pella that are properly installed the patented Pella way by professionals using window and doors with the highest energy efficiency ratings in the industry from Energy Star. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Runza. You know, basketball is about combinations. Pick and roll, give and go, Greg McDermott and elite three-point shooters. Combinations make sports and basketball great. And there's nothing quite like the amazing combination of chili and cinnamon rolls from Runza, a top five favorite menu item at Runza for your boy. And it's that time of year. Chili and cinnamon rolls, the best sweet and spicy combination to hit the Midwest since Dana Altman and Kyle Korver. Get to Runza today and get yours. And while you're there, tell them your pal, your friend, your buddy, Nick Ba sent you. All right, here we go. It is a uh, on tap for this podcast, Creighton season preview, Creighton team preview. And it's funny, I remember a little over a year ago recording a season preview podcast for the 2019-2020 Creighton Blue Jays. And, you know, I was intrigued about the team. I was excited about the team, but I got to be honest, I had no idea what was in store for the Jays that season. I mean, they had an incredible year. Finished the year 24 and 7, 13 and 5 in conference play, Big East regular season champs. And Creighton was on track to be a two seed in the NCAA tournament until COVID canceled the season. And, you know, all in all, what unfolded last year was just a magical season of basketball that team was for me personally that team was the best Creighton team I've ever seen and I never thought I'd find another team that would be as fun to watch as Doug McDermott's senior year team with Gibbs and and Managon Raggi and those dudes but man last year's team was just as fun to watch those guards were electric the role players were studs and embraced their job the chemistry was off the charts And what's interesting is it was kind of somewhat of a slow rise for the team last year. Like they they were so injury riddled to start the year and so shorthanded with their roster that the first month of the season felt like a grind. It wasn't like this team just hit the ground running and was just shredding people. I mean, they had no Davion Mintz who had the bad ankle sprain, no Jacob Epperson who broke his leg. Denzel Mahoney was not eligible until semester and Damian Jefferson was still nursing his his ankle that he was kind of coming back from so it was a it was a grind early on in the season to win games but you know I I think within that that early season grind this team found something 
And that's something that they found was some much-needed toughness. They had to win games gritty and grimy and in different ways other than just scoring 100 points and knocking down 18 threes. And that was the biggest thing holding this team and program back. It was the T word, toughness. You know, you look at, at this program over the years and certainly with this group and last year's group, they have all the skill and shooting and intelligence you can ask for. But it was, you know, the ability to get gritty and dig in and win ugly with toughness that was kind of eluding this team and holding them back from being good to great. And they seemed to kind of find it and found it early in the season last year. And and once they got their roster somewhat intact with Denzel in the equation, you could just kind of see this team get better and better and better until it finally exploded towards the end of the season. From January 18th till March 7th, Creighton went 11-2, and including finishing winning seven of their last eight games. And within those wins, they had wins at Villanova, at Seton Hall, at Marquette, blasted Butler at home, and capped it all off with a magical, memorable day in Omaha, beating Seton Hall 77-60 at home to win the Big East regular season crown. You know, they're just they're they're just there wasn't a hotter team in the country during the final month of the season than Creighton was. And it's just unfortunate from that magical day on March seventh, in a matter of five days after they cut down nets at the CHI Health Center, their their magical season just came to an end with with COVID. Poof. Done. Over. Which obviously set forth a bizarre, disjointed, crazy offseason for the team. But it, it sets an interesting mission for this season and tone for this season. Kind of feels like unfinished business. That's what it feels like. You know, you 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 grind and you work and build it all up to make a run in March. And then just boom, it's taken from you. And Everything for college basketball teams and players, everything is about March. Everything is kind of this slow, steady build towards the tournament. And for this team to put together one of the Creighton basketball masterpieces of a season and not be able to put the finishing touches on it was just so frustrating and so unfortunate. But that's what makes this season all that much more intriguing. Because I think you have this perfect combination of a team that is accomplished, a team that is confident, but yet is still hungry and still feels like they have something to prove. Because ultimately, yes, winning the Big East regular season crown is a huge accomplishment. But that was just one of their goals. And right or wrong, your legacy is really etched in the NCAA tournament. Like, that's the big goal. That's what this team had their sights set on. So the ingredients of this season are very interesting, very intriguing, and very, very exciting. But the one ingredient in this season that makes things tough is obviously COVID. That's still the number one opponent on everyone's schedule each week, really every single day. And it's obviously been a huge disruptor for life, and naturally it's going to be a huge disruptor for the offseason for a basketball team. You know, spring and summer and early fall – is where you make some huge leaps as a team. And those opportunities to to do things as a group just weren't there up until mid to late September. 
And, you know, I can remember talking to Mitch Ballack on my podcast in the middle of the summer. You know, and, and I caught up to it with him. He was back home in Eudora, Kansas, and he was talking about, you know, adding stuff to his game and, and different things that he's working on. But he wasn't sure how it was going since he hadn't played five on five yet. I mean, think about that. A lot of these guys couldn't and didn't play five on five for potentially like five months. Five months. I mean, that's really challenging to keep your game sharp and keep it improving. Because, listen, you can lift and and shoot on your own and do ball handling on your own all you want. But in order to really take steps, you got to play live against other bodies. You just do. So certainly this has been a super challenging time for everyone. But not all situations are the same. And I said this on the Nebraska Basketball Preview podcast I recorded. You know, COVID is a major disruptor for everyone, but there are certain rosters and situations where it's a bigger disruptor and has a bigger impact than others. Like you look at Nebraska, they got they got a basically a brand new team. Creighton doesn't. Creighton returns basically their entire core, except for Tyson Alexander. You know, so they got four of their five starters back, five of their top six scores are back, and their two leaders are upperclassmen in Zegarowski and Balak. Balak, excuse me. So while every team's, you know, every team needs to work and grow and gel and improve together, you know, at least this, at least this group has played a lot of basketball together, and been through some wars together, and been through some grinds together, and they've also been in this system, Greg McDermott's system, offensively and defensively for two and sometimes even three years. So the the installation of the offense and installation of the defense isn't foreign to them. You know, and and chemistry with each other isn't foreign to them. So again, this this COVID offseason hurt, but on the scale of of roster situations across the landscape of college basketball, Creighton's is more suited to deal with it than others. Like it still hurt them, but they can handle it more than maybe some other teams. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast and talk to you guys about Runza. So, you know, I've told you guys about the fact that you can custom order your Runza sandwiches, which is obviously a game changer. You can add anything within reason to a Runza sandwich, different cheeses, maybe some fries, maybe some pickles, whatever. Since they all start out as an original Runza and are made to order, you can get creative. Well, I love getting tweets like this one from Joshua. He tweeted at me, tried the custom order tonight. Highly recommend you add ranch to the Runza with cheese. Hashtag Runza. Wow. Ranch on a Runza? I mean, that sounds incredible. Good work, Joshua. I'm going to have to give that one a try. You need to get to Runza and make your own masterpiece just like Joshua did. And when you're there, you need to tell him your buddy, your pal, your partner, your podcast buddy, Nick Ba sent you. Runza makes it all better. And while we're here, let's talk about Pella windows and doors. I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. Let's, uh, let's, pull, up, uh, let's pull up Pella's website right now. Look at this. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. Five different types of windows or doors by Pella have won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. I mean, that's that's, that's incredible. And they achieve that in a couple of ways. You have the insulated glass, 
which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. You have types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. You have triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all that, within all that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for windows and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Back to the podcast. All right, in, in order to kind of project you know, each team, regardless of who you're talking about, and get a feel for what they will be like and what they can do. It all starts with the roster, you know what I mean? And and just what they have and what they don't have. So let's let's go through the roster and I'll kind of give my thoughts on the top guys and what I see from them. But real quick, let's start with the one big departure, the one big gun that that left and that's Tyson Alexander who signed a two-way deal with the Phoenix Suns just uh a couple weeks ago. I mean, Leading scorer off last year's team at just just under 17 points per game. You know, and he emerged as a lockdown elite defender. And quite frankly, got robbed out of winning the Big East Defensive Player of the Year Award. So he's a big, big loss. There's no doubt about it. You don't want to minimize that. He was experienced. He was efficient. He was a good scorer at all three levels. You know, he was really good at hunting shots in transition. So I think they will miss him offensively, but I think they'll miss him most defensively, actually. He became a an elite-level individual defensive player. What, what he did to Marcus Howard and Miles Powell in four matchups with those two guys was just incredible. I mean, two of the best scorers in college basketball, and Tyson Alexander totally shut them down. And the ability to just stick Tyshawn Alexander on a good score and, and kind of lock him down was enormous to Creighton's defensive effectiveness. So that that void is huge, and that void is real. Th- this, this is a Creighton team that has way more answers than questions and has very few holes. But the biggest question and the biggest hole is how does Creighton replace Tyshawn Alexander and all that he brought to the table? So, I mean, I think that's a big part of the conversation of projecting into this season. It's a big departure. But they got some dudes coming back. So let's get into the returners that will be on the roster this season. And let's start with Marcus Zegarowski. So, you know, for as good as as Tyshawn Alexander was, make no mistake about it. Last year, it was Marcus Zegarowski's team. Make no mistake about it. He was the guy. He was the leader. He was the MVP. So Creighton gets their star back, their MVP back. And man, is he big time. Now, he did tear his meniscus and had surgery at the end of the season. But I caught up with him in the summer on my podcast, and he said the rehab process was going great. He he was cleared. He was 100% going to be ready to rock. And, you know, Zagorowski is the Big East preseason player of the year. And is a you know a first team All American in some publications. So I guess you just start by by just kind of saying this out loud. I don't think it's crazy to believe or to say that Marcus Zagorowski is the best point guard in the country. Like I don't think that's crazy to say. 
And when you got the best point guard in the country or one of the top two, three, four best point guards in the country, it's a great place to start. 16 points per game, 48% from the field, 42% from three. Just efficient and an electric, dynamic playmaker with the basketball. And he checks a lot of the boxes that you look for. He's tough, he's smart, and he kind of plays with a competitive FU to him, right? And, you know, he's one of the very few point guards that can do boy, do both. He can pass and he can score. You know, he, there's a game where he can get you 10 assists, and there's games where he can get you 30 points. And, you know, his mid-range game is awesome. But what makes him really special offensively, first of all, the way he shoots the ball makes him special. I mean, just the, the, the ability to make shots from all three levels is special. But the way he changes speeds is as good as I've seen in a while from a college point guard. You know, because what's weird is he's not the most, he's not the most cat-quick guy in the world. You know, like a like a Carson Edwards or maybe even a Maurice Watson was from a couple of years ago. But what he does is, first of all, he's got the ball on a string. He's, he's a, a silky smooth, great ball handler. And he keeps the defender off balance with the way he starts and stops and changes speeds. And it is an absolute joy to watch him play. Just a joy. I, I'm, I haven't just flat out enjoyed watching a Creighton player more than I've, I've enjoyed watching him play. I mean, he is, he is the reason the, the, the Jays' ceiling is, is Final Four caliber. You know, he's the closer. When the game's on the line, the ball is in his hands. He's making the decision whether to pass it, to shoot it, whatever. All of the optimism about this season for Creighton begins and ends with Zagorowski. A total stud. I expect him to even take another step forward from a, a great all-conference caliber season last year. What a baller, Marcus Zagorowski. The next guy is Mitch Ballock. And, you know, in my opinion, he's one of the five best shooters in college basketball. I mean, the guy's just an elite-level shooter, 43% from three. He was second in the Big East in three-pointers made and percentage. He's an elite decision maker. He was uh, had the best assist-to-turnover ratio in the Big East. And he's an elite teammate. I really, really believe that the, the unselfishness that kind of permeates throughout this team starts with Mitch. It all starts with him. His priorities are winning, number one. Number two, the team. And number three, a distant number three, is himself. He, he truly doesn't care how many shots he gets, how many points he scores. He just wants to win. And he wants what's best for the team. He is just everything that you would want in a teammate. But listen, I don't want to minimize him like he's just all intangibles and not like this guy can play. Again, elite shooter, smart, good passer, and a much improved game off the dribble. You know, he became a much better finisher at the rim on drives to the basket last season. And that's something because of how good of a shooter he is that he has to be capable of doing. Teams are going to try and run him off the three-point line. He's got to be able to put the ball in the deck and get into the basket, get, get into the lane and finish around the basket. And he did last year. I do think with Tyshawn Alexander gone that, that Mitch Ballock, and it might be out of his nature a little bit, I think he needs to increase his aggressiveness to score. He's just too good of a shooter to not hunt his own shot a little more. Again, 
you've heard it a million times, but I mean, the coaching staff has to, they yell at him to shoot more. I mean, sometimes he's almost too unselfish. But man, is he a good player. Mitch Ballock is a huge part of Creighton's success, and I expect another great year from him uh, in a variety of ways for, for Creighton. I mean, you, you, you talk about Creighton, everything begins with talking about those two cats, Zegarowski and Ballock. Next guy I want to talk about is Denzel Mahoney. You know, Denzel Mahoney, who ended up being the, the Big East Sixth Man of the Year, you know, obviously had a, a successful season, but it was an interesting season for him. Keep in mind, he wasn't eligible until the end of the first semester. So he missed the first 10 games of the season last year because of transfer rules. And, you know, it's not easy to join a, a team 10 games into the season and find your flow and find your rhythm but most importantly, fit into the parameters of the system and style offensively with how Creighton plays, which is obviously predicated on space and ball movement and a lot of sets offensively. It's riddled with a ton of freedom, but but it's controlled freedom. Like, And it's predicated on a lot of that stuff, but it's also predicated on trust. And that last element took him a little bit with trust. Denzel Mahoney is a scorer. He's got a scorer's mentality. That's his mindset, which is fine because Creighton needs his scoring and needs his aggressiveness. But what he needed to learn was trusting that if you give the ball up, you'll get it back. That if you just catch and swing it, if you just keep the ball moving, it'll the ball will find its way back to you. And you look at, at his season, I think it took him six, seven, eight games to really figure that out. Oh, I can just move it and the ball is going to get back to me. Oh, maybe instead of just catching and ripping and trying to shoot a tough pull-up, I can just catch and move it and follow a ball screen or I can sprint and post up and and attract the, the, the defense in that regard. Like, it took him a little bit to figure all that out. A lot of film sessions, a lot of work on the floor. And once he figured that out, everything kind of took off for him. Trusting his teammates, trusting the system, getting comfortable and understanding where he can attack in this offense. Once that happened, he became a really good player. 12 points per game. Again, 6'5", 220. He's got a big, strong frame. And he creates major problems when Creighton plays small. You know, he would oftentimes, when Creighton would go to their small lineup, he'd have a four or a five on him. And, you know, he could kind of drag those fours and fives away from the hoop and kind of torture them. You know, driving the ball to the basket, shooting threes, drawing fouls. And, you know, he's one of those guys that he just puts your, you know, when you're thinking about, when you're getting ready to play, when, when you're getting ready to play Creighton, you have a lot of predicaments. Okay, got to get back in transition. Uh, got to defend the three-point line. Got to figure out, you know, can't step off Mitch Ballock. Uh, you know, Zegarowski, we got to figure out what you're doing with him. And then Denzel Mahoney's high on that list of like, okay, what, how are we handling this guy? We're going to put a guard on him. We're going to put a big guy on him. What are we doing with ball screens? Are we switching because he can roll into the post and and post up smaller guards? Are we going to keep a big on him? Well, he can drag him away from the basket and shoot three. Like one when when you're dealing with Creighton, there there are questions that you got to answer, and he's one of the top questions you got to answer. And I think he's poised to make a big jump this year. And you know, with Tyshawn Alexander gone. Someone needs to pick up that scoring void, and I think Denzel slides into that starting lineup and increases his production in the scoring department. Really important piece to Creighton's season. Next, uh, next guy to talk about is Damian Jefferson. 
You know, in, in terms of my personal expectation level for someone pitted against how they perform throughout a season, I'm not sure I've had a player take a bigger leap and exceed my own personal expectations for them more than Damian Jefferson did last year. I really think that what, what really allowed for, for Creighton to take off last year and become Big East champs was directly attributed to Damian Jefferson and Christian Bishop's emergency and cons- emergence and consistency. Like, you, you knew they had a star-studded backcourt with Tyson Alexander and, and Zagorowski and Ballock, right? But what they lacked were the complementary guys starring in their role consistently. And that's where Damian Jefferson really, really stepped up. And while he wasn't Creighton's best player or most talented player, in terms of what his role was and what he was asked to do, there might not have been a more consistent player in the final month than Damian Jefferson. That guy just brought it every single night. Nine points per game, five rebounds per game, 53% shooting from the field. He was probably the unsung hero for Creighton's team last year. And think about it, at six foot five, he led the team in rebounding. Led the team in rebounding. Pretty explosive, vertical athlete. And his versatility offensively and defensively was vital for Creighton's small ball lineups, right? Like he could he could guard basically two through four. You know, and offensively he can play a, he can play the four, he can play on the wing. The one area he needs to improve is his three-point shooting. He he shot he was bad from the three-point line. He shot 21% from three. He only made 10 threes all year. And and that needs to get better because he was kind of the one perimeter player that teams played off of and dared to shoot. And if if Damian Jefferson, who's who's been capable at different points of his career shooting the three, it's not like the dude's never been able to shoot. If he can get to where he, you know, he's a low to, you know, mid-30s three-point shooter, Creighton's offense gets that much more lethal and hard to guard. But that's really the only hole in in his game in terms of what he needs, you know, what Creighton needs from him. I thought Damian Jefferson had a great year, and hopefully, hopefully he doesn't succumb to the temptation of trying to do too much and think because, you know, it's, it's my senior year, it's time to get mine. Like, hopefully he doesn't, he doesn't succumb to that. I don't think he will, but you never know. Sometimes that, that senior year, sometimes that, that senior year can, uh, you know, can make people go all in on the team and all in on winning. Or sometimes it can make people go all in on themselves since it's their last hurrah. I, I think Damian Jefferson's all about the team. I really believe he is because, man, he proved to be a vital piece to Creighton's success last year, and it's the exact same scenario for him this year. Next dude is Christian Bishop. You know, I I already brought up Christian Bishop. He really, really improved last year. He was arguably the most improved player on the team from his freshman to his sophomore year. And in all reality, it was it was a it was a lot put on his plate last year. He's kind of playing out of position at the five spot at six foot seven. And, you know, he got thrusted into the starting lineup after Jacob Epperson's preseason leg injury knocked him out for the season. So he had a lot on his plate. But, man, did he really answer the bell and emerged as a consistent, valuable piece to Creighton's team. I mean, again, a huge part of Creighton's offensive system is having that lob threat to the rim off of pick and rolls. Right, it was Justin Patton a couple of years ago. It was Martin Crumple a couple of years ago, and now it's Christian Bishop. 
He's great at putting pressure on the rim with lobs, which puts you know the, the defense in a bind, whether to, okay, are you going to sink in and help on the lob and leave the three-point shooters and the three-point line open, or are you going to stay attached to the three-point shooters and the three-point line and leave the, the lob to the rim open? It's a big predicament, right? You know, I, I went through all the predicaments. One of the big predicaments is, what, what are you doing with ball screens? What are you going to do? What are you doing with the weak side defenders in, in ball screens? Are you going to sink in, help jam up the lobs, and step off Mitch Ballock? I don't know about that. Okay, you're going to stay attached to Mitch Ballock and you're going to leave lobs to the rim open? Like it's hard, dude. And here's the beauty of it. You know who's coming off those ball screens is Zegarowski. And he can make make all those reads. Right? So maybe you get to, oh, man, we're too concerned. Let's get getting killed on the lobs. Don't want to give a three-point. Let's go under those screens. Oh, really? You're going under Marcus Zegarowski? How's this three in your face? Right, you're gonna switch it. Uh, you wanna you want a five on Zegarowski? You're ready to get put on skates, brother. Like it's hard, but it all starts with it, it all starts with bishops being able to catch lobs at the rim. It's a huge part of Creighton's half court offense, and Christian Bishop was great at that. And and the thing that's good about him is you know he's a mobile big that can run. So playing fast, playing with pace is no problem for him at the at at the five spot, which is big because that's an enormous part of how Creighton wants to play. And what's interesting is he really emerged as a viable passer and playmaker from that five spot distributing the basketball uh, from the perimeter where they'd go kind of five out and he'd have the ball at the top of the key and dribble at guys, dribble handoffs, backdoor passes, all that stuff. Now, I mean, let's not get crazy. He's not Nikola Jokic passing the ball, but he's capable, which adds another dimension to this offense. So, you know, the one thing that that still hurts, you know, he's 6'7", 220, so he's not very big. And like I said, he's a little undersized, which is always an issue for him defending other fives and battling on the glass. But he does battle, and he fights. The one area he needs to continue to work on is fouling. He's extremely foul-prone. The, the staff has been working on that for now two years. And you know he led the team in fouls last year and, and foul-outs. Christian Bishop had 93 fouls on the season. The next closest was 65. So he almost had 30 more fouls than the next closest guy. So that has to improve. Can't have those silly fouls early in a game, hedging a ball screen 40 feet from the hoop, just going for an offensive rebound and climbing on someone's back, all those things. But Christian Bishop had a great season, and after being put in a tough spot with the injuries, he responded and became a consistent five-man for Creighton. Next guy to talk about is Antoine Jones. The Memphis transfer is the big X factor for this season. If Antoine Jones has a good season and and fits in and pops, I think Creighton's going to make some serious noise this year. He sat out last year, which is good, so he got acclimated with Creighton's system and how they do things. He got to see winning at a high level with that team last year and how they operate day-to-day. And that system is a big thing because obviously it's way different than what he was he was used to at Memphis. But man, he looks the part. Like when he gets off the bus, you're like, ooh, okay, that looks like somebody. 6'6, 220, 225, like big shoulders, strong. And he's a problem for defenses now. He's a problem. He kind of falls into that Denzel Mahoney category. Like with his size and skill set. 
you're in a predicament on how you're going to defend him. Are you putting a big on him? Are you putting a guard on him? What are you doing with that dude? He creates a lot of issues for teams with the way he handles the ball, the way he can get into the paint, and the way he can pass makes him a really, really dangerous player. And when you think about Creighton's small lineups, Antoine Jones fits right into that equation. I think you you thought the Christian Bishop lineup was small with him at the uh, uh, on the like. I think you're going to see some. You I think you'll see lineups with Marcus Zagorowski, Mitch Ballock, Damian Jefferson, Denzel Mahoney, and Antoine Jones. We're at your three, four, five. You're going to go six, five, six, 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 six. And you got a lot of versatility out there that is really hard to guard with that those five dudes on the floor. And guys like Damian Jefferson, Denzel Mahoney, and Antoine Jones have the size and strength to to guard bigger players and hang in there in the paint. Not saying that I mean it's always what you give up, right? By playing small, you're 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 saying we're we're going small. You know, could be a little bit vulnerable inside, but they can they got the size and the strength and the fight to hang in there. But the big question with Antoine Jones is how will he fit in and can he fit in to the style and system that Creighton plays? Will he assimilate? Will he blend into Creighton's ball movement and offensive system? Like I said, it took Denzel Mahoney a bit to fully get worked into the equation, and he had to buy into it. You can show someone all the film in the world and talk to them and and you know, pause certain situations in practice and say, this is where you need to do this, you know, maybe pass up this shot and this will come for you, or hey, we're going to get you the ball here, so trust that it's going to come to you. Like, you can do all those things, but ultimately it's on to the individual to buy into that. Denzel bought into that. Will Antoine buy into that? If he does, look out. Because he, he's got all the skills, he's got the skill set to, to be a problem. And listen, I think he will. Because certainly Greg McDermott and the staff do a nice job of getting people to fit into the system. And they just did something similar with Denzel Mahoney. And then within that, Denzel Mahoney himself can help Antoine Jones with the acclimation process of having just done it, right? Hey, man, I, was, I, was, I know how you're feeling. I was, I was in the same spot. Trust that if you swing it, hey, trust, just go follow that ball screen. You're going to get it back. You don't need to shoot that right there. You know, like, hey, this is where they're going to get you the ball. Trust that it's going to come your way. You don't need to hunt that bad shot. So Denzel can help in that regard. And then, you know, when you got leaders like Marcus Zagorowski and Mitch Ballock, they will help be the voice of Greg McDermott on the floor and in the locker room. That stuff makes a big difference. You know, that's when you're in the locker room after a practice or before a game, it, it's one thing for Greg McDermott to tell Denzel or to, to tell Antoine something. It's another thing for Marcus Zagorowski and Mitch to tell him something, right? It just kind of like lands more when it comes for your teammates and your peers. And those two guys can be an extension of the staff in the locker room. Stuff makes a difference. Stuff makes a difference. So again, I think he will. It might take a bit, but he'll fit in at some point. And if slash when he does, look out. I mean, if you're talking X factors, it's the biggest X factor on this team this year is Antoine Jones. Next guy to talk about is Jacob Epperson. You know, you just your heart goes out for this kid. Just a brutal injury in October of last year. Compound fracture in his leg, a brutal, gruesome compound fracture. And it, it was a big blow. He was slated as the start. He was going to start at the five. I mean, so think about that. He was going to start at the at the five spot last year. But the big question 
is his health. You break your leg like that as a seven-footer, you know, you never know what if it's a brutal recovery process, and then who knows if you'll ever really come back as a player, right? So, I mean, it's hard to assess it. I mean, what does his role look like? I mean, it kind of remains to be seen, and it all depends on his health. He has been practicing, but I do think the staff is is being ex, you know kind of extra careful with him and his workload. So you know I think he'll play some sort of role so long as his leg allows for it, maybe 10, 15 minutes a game and kind of short bursts. And you know he's a really talented guy. This is a six foot eleven, seven foot guy that's long and bouncy and skilled. You know, former four star recruit, top one hundred recruit. And, you know, he's got that pick-roll, lob-to-the-rim element to him. He, he is potentially a capable perimeter shooter at the five. And he can protect the rim with his size as well, which is something Creighton really lacks. The big hole with this team is size. And Epperson has size at 6'11". So having him matters. Even if it's just for short spurts, you throw out a 6'11 body. But the... The big question is his health and his leg. How will his leg hold up? Which brings me to the next guy I want to talk about, and that's Ryan Kalkbrenner. Seven-foot freshman who is a – he's a four-star recruit, top 100 recruit, four-star kid, talented player. Again, seven-footer, some much-needed size. He can put pressure on the rim with lobs. He can protect the rim defensively just because he's seven feet tall. And, you know, he's – He's got some ability to score in the post, which is something that Creighton kind of lacks. Someone that, like a big man, they can just throw the ball into and he can go get fouled or, or hit a little jump hook. So he checks a lot of the boxes of what this team needs in the, in the front line. But with all freshman post players, you know, the big question is can he adjust to the physicality of college basketball and the speed of the game at, at the collegiate level? It's a jump, you know, it's a big, big jump. And that remains to be seen. Now, the good thing is Ryan Kalkbrenner moved to Omaha in late June and spent almost every day working out with Jeremy Anderson, the strength coach, in Jeremy Anderson's garage. So he he got a good, solid extra two months of strength training, which is huge for his ability to get onto the floor right away and produce. Again, he's talented. He's, he's a talented big with size. And Creighton needs some size down low in the post. Really important player for this season, considering where Creighton is vulnerable and considering Epperson's health situation and not knowing fully what you're going to get. Really sneaky, important player. Next guy is uh, Sharif Mitchell. Uh, you know, Sharif Mitchell, a sophomore now. And, you know, Sharif Mitchell is a pretty simple guy to assess. Outstanding on the ball defender, just elite at harassing the ball handler. But his lack of three-point shooting just holds him back right now a little bit. And it was an interesting freshman year for him. You know, it was he was kind of in and out of the lineup. And it was his shooting, I think, that quite frankly held him back. And by all accounts, Greg McDermott has praised Sharif Mitchell's offseason and said he's one of the most improved players on the team, which is great. And let's hope that improvement is in the shooting category. Because I got no doubts about the other end of the floor. He's great on defense. He is fine and ready to roll and 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 harass people defensively. He's ready on that. It's his shooting and kind of tightening up his ball handling a bit that are the biggest things. 
And I, quite frankly, I thought he looked like a freshman at times out there from a comfort and confidence standpoint, which again is normal. It's normal. He's just got to settle in and improve that jumper. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to play with confidence when, A, your minutes are sporadic and you're kind of in and out of the, in and out of the lineup, and B, you aren't confident in your jump shot. Like that, it's hard to really be drenched in confidence when, okay, am I gonna, am I not gonna play at all today? Am I gonna play 15 minutes a day? Am I gonna play four minutes today? Okay, I'm not feeling great about this open jumper that that could come my way. Like it's hard to feel really, you know, be drenched in confidence when those things are are a reality. Now I've always felt from experience that you know the jump you make from your from a comfort standpoint from your freshman to your sophomore year is the biggest jump you make of all your seasons. So that'll help. And hopefully he's worked on that jump shot. And if if both those things happen, he'll be a solid backup point guard, which is an important component to this year's roster. Which leads me to the next guy, Jet Canfield. You know, Jet is Jet, man. Like, he's a walk-on who has earned the trust from Greg McDermott to the point where he he got in over Sharif Mitchell at times. And that's the biggest thing, though, is trust. You know, like in the, in the little spurts of rest for Marcus Zagorowski, the biggest thing Greg McDermott is looking for is trust. Trusting that someone will go out there and make good decisions and be in the right spots and execute the offensive and defensive game plan. And that's Jet. That was Tyler Clement a couple years ago. And listen, Jet was having a hell of a day at Madison Square Garden, that St. John's game that got canceled at halftime. And he came in, knocked down a couple of shots. He was having a career day. So he's a great option for, for Coach McDermott at the end of that bench. But his, his, his biggest issue is size. He's a really, really, really small guy. 5'10", 160. Just kind of makes it tough to survive out there for long stretches when, you, when you're that undersized. But he's rock solid, so that's good. And then real quick, uh, you know, Modestus Cancelaris and Rati Kashvili. I think I said that right. I don't know. I'll get it right eventually. Both foreign freshman recruits who both tore their ACL in the preseason 10 days apart from each other. Just crazy. So they're out for the year. And I think the big one is the is the Rati Andrew Kashvili. I, I think he I think he was going to play a role in this team. You know, he was kind of a bigger bodied guard at about six foot four-ish. Uh, you know, he he was creative with the ball in the hand in his hands. I thought he was maybe going to play about 10 to 15 minutes a game. So so his injury hurts a bit, and I think is worth mentioning. So there, that's kind of the the roster in a nutshell of of what the the 2020-2021 Jays will look like. Uh, you know, it's a really it's a really talented, exciting group. And you know, if you've listened to my podcast, I did my preseason preseason national college basketball preview where I gave my preseason top ten teams, and I had Creighton at number five. And you know, I really think that is right. I really think it's fair, and I really think it's accurate. I'm high on this team. I'm high on this team. Again, Big East regular season champs. They were slated to to likely be a two seed in the NCAA tournament before it got canceled. And, you know, they returned four of their five starters, five of their top six scores. Like, there's a lot to like. I think this team is legit poised to make a run. So I actually think they're a little underrated and undervalued nationally, which I can I get to a certain extent when you look at, at track record for a, of a program. Creighton's never been to the Sweet 16. So for some people, it's it it gets hard to bet on something that has never happened before in program history. I get that. I, I I'm not going to be naive to that. But if you just take 
a team for what they are and what they've accomplished from last year and what they have coming back, I you can't tell me there are 12, 10, 12 better teams on paper than Creighton right now. Get, get out of here. No way. But, I mean, with all that said, I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't the 96 Bulls here we're talking about, right? I mean, they do have some flaws and, and some questions. Like, Tyshawn Alexander, his departure, like, got to fill that defensive stopper role. And listen, he averaged, he led the team in scoring. They still are an, are an undersized team that isn't a great rebounding team, they, you know, that doesn't protect the rim at a high level. That, you know, they're, they've never been an elite defensive team. They've gotten better. They make teams uncomfortable with scouting reports, specific defenses, and daring certain guys to shoot, and how they handle different things is unique and can get people, you know, out of rhythm, out of sync, off kilter a little bit. But, you know, they're certainly not Virginia defensively or anything like that. And I think the backup point guard spot is, is interesting, right? Because, you know, last year you could take Marcus Zagorowski off the floor, and Tyson Alexander could slide over and play the point and handle the ball. This year, you don't have that, right? So they need someone to emerge there. Like when Zegarowski goes off the – like the one thing that is concerning, like when Zegarowski's off the floor, who's handling the ball? Like I, I, I praised Mitch Ballock's ability, you know, his assist turnover ratio, but it's not like Mitch isn't bringing the ball up the floor. Does that make sense? Like Mitch, Mitch makes good decisions as a secondary ball handler. It's different when you've got to initiate offense and bring the ball up the floor. That's not really Mitch's game, and you're taking away from what Mitch does best, and that's playing off the ball and spacing the floor, coming off screens, stretching the defense. So that 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 backup point guard spot and ball handling thing is interesting. You know, I mean, Sharif Mitchell's needs to he, he could be in that role. Maybe Jet Canfield and stretches uh, has to handle the ball a little bit. But the reality is, I think what we're all spelling out is Marcus Zagorowski isn't coming off the floor very much. So. You know, he's going to have to make sure he takes care of his body. He doesn't get worn down. You know, because he might have to play 35 minutes a game and do everything. So, it's, you know, he's going to have to make sure he doesn't get in foul trouble, all those things. So, listen, they are far from a perfect team. They're far from a perfect team. But, man, the, the recipe for winning in basketball is getting old and staying old and experience matters. And Creighton is an older, veteran, experienced team that is accomplished. And we know that this team's going to be electric and great on offense. Creighton was third in Ken Palm's offensive efficiency, third in the country. They're lights out on that end of the floor with their fast pace and their three-point shooting and the versatile lineups. They're a handful. The ability to throw small ball lineups on the floor creates major, major issues for people. And, you know, we know that Creighton has arguably the best point guard in the country in Zegarowski. You know, this team's experienced, they're accomplished, so there's there's a lot to like. I just think if, you know, when you think about, okay, if they can just answer this question, this question, this question, like if they can continue to take strides in the toughness and defense department like they did last year, if they can work Antoine Jones into the equation relatively smooth, if they can get some size production from Kalkbrenner and Epperson down low, if they can kind of fill that defensive stopper and scoring void left by Tyson Alexander and get get someone to emerge as, as solid backing up Zegarowski handling the ball, you know, though if if I had to really be critical and write down a handful, those are the big questions. And if, if the team answers a lot of those questions, they got a chance to, to 
be special again. Last year, it was a Big East regular season title, and we'll never know what could have been in March. This year, they're going to be right there in the Big East race once again. And I think if they can answer a few of those questions I just listed, I really believe that this team is Elite Eight Final Four good. I can't wait to watch this team play. Remember, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Just click that subscribe button. That way you won't miss any of the great Creighton basketball coverage I'll have for you throughout this season. And while you're at it, leave a five-star rating and a nice review. It all helps. And uh, as always, I really, really appreciate you guys listening and supporting the podcast. So there you have it. Cheers to a, to another uh, another fun basketball season on tap. And I will see you next time on the Nick Ba Podcast. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.